Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Davis, and this episode is officially episode 10 of season 9. Yes, that means it's the last full episode of the season, and what a series it has been. We've talked about resolving disputes, apprentices, howdens, installers, recruitment, the state of the market, and much, much more. Now, if for some reason you haven't heard them all and your reason for not doing so had better be good, you can find them all at kbbreview.com forward slash podcast. And I'll put that link in the episode description. For our final full episode, we're looking at the pros and cons of retailers offering consumer finance. All the big multiples and sheds do it, but it's still a comparatively rare thing for independents. So why is this? Are they missing out? Is it all too onerous? Or does the typical customer simply not need it? I'm talking it all through with our expert, Alex McCulloch from Consumer Credit Solutions. First, are you a KBB retailer, designer, installer or supplier? I hope so, or this podcast is definitely not what you think it is. However, if that is you, then entries are now open for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2024. It's the biggest awards in the industry and it's totally free to enter. The closing date is November the 16th, so head along to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to find out everything you need to know about categories, entering and booking seats and tables for the event itself in March. That's kbbreview.com forward slash awards. And again, that link is in the episode description. So please welcome, as promised, Alex McCulloch from CCS. Hello, Alex. A very good morning to you, Andrew. A good morning to you too. Now let's start with the background. Give us the 10-second overview of who CCS are and what you do. Yeah, so Consumer Credit Solutions have been operating now predominantly in the home improvement market, providing finance facilities for retailers for over 23 years now. We are very proud of the fact that we uh, operate with circa 360 retailers across kitchens, bedrooms, bathrooms, glass and glazing, heating, renewables, garage doors, hot tubs, etc etc so we provide all the support appertaining to the finance facilities so we help get people authorized uh, with the regulator to be able to offer consumer credit we then support that facility by training people uh, by giving them the product knowledge helping them with software that we own to provide customers options at the point of sale in a professional and compliant manner. We have a compliance department that supports our retailer base with all the regulatory concerns and and needs. Uh, And also we provide any help around marketing, etc. Anything, again, as I said before, the best description of us is anything appertaining to the finance facility here to support that. Was that more than 10 seconds? It was, but it's very comprehensive and it demonstrates your experience in this area. Okay, so I'll give you an easy question to start with, Alex, all right? We'll start with the pros. Why would an independent kitchen bathroom retailer think about offering credit to their consumers? Why why would they do it and why do they do it? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to flower up finance many times over over many years, Andrew, but the simple fact of the matter is that if you want to sell more product, then finance is a vehicle to help you to do that. We always say that finance should be positively affecting four things for retailers. Firstly, we want to position it in the marketing. So if you look across the retail spectrum today, Andrew, you think furniture, you think jewellery, you think electrical, you think motor, of course, you think even carpets, you know, whichever retail sector you think of, typically they're headlining with finance offers. And there's a simple reason for that. We want to help attract more customers and generate more of the raw material for retailers, which is customer leads. 
Uh, so that's the first thing that we want to benefit. The second thing is we want to help overcome those main objections or concerns that customers might have. Typically, it's timing and it's affordability. Timing is, is it the right time to do it? Should I go on holiday now? Should I get my bathroom done, my kitchen done? I afford to do it. There's a lot of challenges, a lot of headwinds out there for consumers at the moment. And finance is certainly helping and aiding consumers to get to those products that they desire. So we hope it's going to help with marketing, generate more leads. We hope that it's going to help by overcoming any concerns, objections that consumers might have and get them into that place of certainty that helps them say yes to the product purchase. But also what people don't quite appreciate, Andrew, is that you tend to get more spend from consumers when finances in situ. So if a customer has a budget set, then that's what they're going to spend. When finances in situ, then they tend to go more for the aspirational purchase because now they're not hampered and debilitated by that budget that they've set themselves of what money's got in the bank. And probably the final and and most important point that we want to help try uh, and achieve is for consumers to be able to leave their money in the bank. And there's never been a more compelling time for customers to do that because, of course, the increasing interest rates that we all have seen over the past 12 to 18 months has meant that actually when you've got your money in the bank, you can actually earn some money. So leaving your money in the bank now has become a great idea and uh, utilising finance, therefore, has become an even better idea to allow customers the empowerment to do exactly that. The argument for doing it is very compelling. And I think in particular, you can see why all the big sheds do it, multiples do it, but it's still a relatively rare thing for independent KBB retailers to offer finance. From your perspective, what are the main objections they have to doing it? Why don't they all do it? I think probably the main one is that you need to get authorised and regulated to be able to offer consumer credit, Andrew. And at CCS, we have a compliance department who have created all the necessary templates that you would require to go ahead and make that application. Now, what perhaps your independent retailers are not aware of is that as long as they are a showroom business, and what I mean by that is that they don't sell in the customer's home, they don't go into the customer's home to talk about finance or wouldn't when they're actually able to, and all their business is done from from trade premises, i.e. a showroom, then that retailer only has to obtain limited permission authorization from the regulator. Whereas if you go into the customer's home to do the selling, and I'm not talking about measuring or surveying, I'm talking about selling, I'm talking about discussing finance options, I'm talking about delivering prices in a consumer's home. That's called the domestic premises supplier retailer. Those retailers, it's more onerous for them to get authorised and they need full permission with step up from limited permission. But probably the authorisation piece I would see as the first and main hurdle that an independent retailer would look at is maybe a barrier to get finance. So that's the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, isn't it? Spot on, Andrew, yeah. The Financial yeah. Conduct Authority is who governs all consumer credit now and have done since 2014. So they have to be compliant. Does anyone who offers finance have to be FCA registered? Correct. There is there is a small dispensation, and whether or not it will continue for the fullness of time is another matter, but there is a small dispensation that if you do only interest-free and only less than 12 months interest-free, you don't need to be authorised. With the panel of lenders that CCS work with, none of them actually provide a facility for that. So if you were to work with CCS, we would need you to be an authorised entity, yes. And how much does that cost? Is that a costly thing? Does it depend on how much money you're lending? Yeah, well, how does it work? 
it's based on how much you believe you rate on finance business, Andrew. And that can be a little bit difficult when you're just looking to embark on utilising a finance facility, of course. So what they tend to do is apply a proxy measure to your turnover. And that will derive then an amount that they believe that you will write on credit. But no, in the grand scheme of things, Andrew, I would say the, the FCA authorization piece in isolation is not a huge cost. You're, you're talking uh, probably for an independent limited permission, you're talking in the hundreds, not in the thousands. Annually? Uh, yeah, as an initial cost. So certainly sub a thousand pounds and it would be sub a thousand pounds annually as well, unless you became a huge writer of credit. And then, of course, the cost for authorization would step up, but it doesn't step up. I work with retailers that are writing 70 million on finance. The cost of it is far, far from onerous. The one thing that regular doesn't want to do is be a barrier to commerce. They want to make sure that they are authorising people who deserve to be authorised. And the authorisation process is not the work of a moment. And it does take time, it does take effort, and it will take our support as well on that in terms of being able to guide. We can also direct retailers to a friendly compliance company We're not a compliance company per se. We have a compliance department, but we can direct people to companies or a company who will give them a discount and will help them through the full authorization process and literally hold their hand and do much of that work for them. What kind of view do lenders have of kitchen and bathroom retailers? We've had a previous episode about card payment providers and how they see KBB retail as high risk. So how do lenders view KBB retail? Do they think we're high risk? No. No, they wouldn't underwrite you or vet KBB retailers any different than they would a window retailer, any different than they would a garage door retailer. The the risk that exists for lenders in this type of lending arena is quite simply that if it goes wrong, and what I mean by that is if the retailer ceases to exist, the lender has equal liability under Section 75 of the Consumer Credit Act, whereby they would have to step in and A, potentially refund deposits, and B, more likely have to complete work in progress and or stand on guarantees that have already been given to customers by the retailer. So very much like when consumers buy on credit card, they buy on credit card because they know they're getting protected by the credit card company. The piece of legislation that I've just described there is exactly the same piece of legislation that the consumer is protected by when they utilise one of our finance options, any of our finance options, through any of our lenders. So that is the liability and that is the risk that the finance company take on and they will underwrite every retailer in the same manner. Yes, there's sectors that they won't go into that they view as high risk. Maybe mobility might be a good example. But no, we deal with plenty of kitchen retailers and have done over the 23 years that we've been trading in the home improvement space. Plenty of bathroom retailers, we have no problems and our lenders have no problems with either of those those types of retailer. What I want to do now is put to you a couple of things that have come up when I've been talking to retailers about this, about asking why they don't do it, which I think are really interesting. The main one, the main issue is that lenders, this is what they say, lenders aren't interested unless you're putting a million pounds worth of business a year through them. And that's highly unlikely for your average independent high street retailer. Is that true? No, I can correct on that. We have a simple couple of parameters that we work to, Andrew. We only deal with retailers typically who have been trading for a couple of years. 
We only deal with retailers who have a positive net worth on their balance sheet. We will only deal with retailers who turn over a million pounds and have the ability and commitment to write a quarter of a million pounds a year on finance. So it's true in that there is minimum bars, but where you've had the minimum bar described to use a million pounds on finance is way north of any conversation that I would have with retailers. We would be looking for a minimum of a quarter of a million pounds a year on finance. And what I would say, Andrew, is that the discussions that I would have with any of your retailers that subscribe to your magazine is, if you're not going to write a quarter of a million pounds on finance, then finance probably isn't for you. Because the process that is, as I've described before, becoming authorised with the regulator takes an effort, takes a commitment. And if you're not going to write a quarter of a million pounds of finance and you want to upkeep that authorisation, honestly, I, I would suggest to anybody that I speak to, it's not really for you. What are the limits of actual credit offered to each individual? Is that based on their own credit rating? I'm asking that because, obviously, I can buy a, a 15 grand kitchen or I can buy a 50 grand kitchen. What are the limits there? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of answers to that question because there will be lenders that have their own in-house limits. Our lenders typically will be somewhere between, in terms of that in-house limit, twenty five to 50,000 on any unsecured lending for any one consumer. But also, there is the affordability of the consumer that's taken into consideration when underwriting the consumer. So the consumer might apply for a £40,000 kitchen, Andrew, but determined by the perceived risk of that consumer, they might not warrant 50000 Their affordability uh, may only allow them to have a £30,000 kitchen, for instance. But what we would do when we discuss with the independent retailer because we have a panel of lenders and because we are independent, what we do is find the best fit for that retailer. So if that retailer is constantly selling £40,000 kitchens to their consumer base, well, we wouldn't place them with the lender that only goes up to a maximum of 25000 We would look to place them with the lender that will have the right consumers up to a maximum of 50000 but we don't have any lenders that we operate that will underwrite on an unsecured lending basis, which is what this is, anything over £50,000 unsecured for one customer. Right. And I think if you're buying a £75,000 kitchen, you probably don't need finance, do you? Let's, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, that's probably a fair comment. What I would say is that the savvy customer now, though, is looking for finance offers so they can leave their money in the bank because... You know, I, I mean, from my own bank, I was offered instant access, 4.75% on any savings that I've got. Now, if you think about 75 grand, now I wouldn't be able to finance the whole 75 grand, but 75 grand with a £25,000 deposit. And if that's a possibility and I can leave my 50000 in the bank, let's say on a buy now, pay later offer, which is one of our most popular credit options, so I can leave my money in the bank for 12 months. And on that 50000 let's just say I'm going to get 5% back. That's now £2,500 I'm going to get simply by using buy later for a project that, yes, maybe I couldn't afford it. But given that I've now got my £50,000 still in the bank, I'm able to make sure that the project's finished to my high expectations. So... What you tend to find, I'm sure you'll appreciate, Andrew, what you tend to find with these types of projects is they don't start and stop with just the independent kitchen retailer's product. 
So the customer will want to redecorate. The customer may be even building an extension that they're putting the kitchen in. And these projects tend to always run over in terms of time and budget. And what Buy Now Pay Later is, a, for instance, in terms of one of our credit options does, is it just alleviates the pressure of that project, allows the customer to push the main cost of the project, which might be the kitchen, 12 months down the line. Now, as I'm doing that, I've still got my money in the bank. My money's now earning me money. But also, I'm allowing, I'm allowing myself the less pressurised position where I can get my decorators in and pay them. I can get my, my new blinds done and, and, and everything like that. There's all these ancillary costs that tend to go around the home improvement project, like a kitchen or a bathroom, that doesn't sit with the independent retailer. Finance allows the customer to just make sure that that project is finished, takes the pressure off whilst another 12 pay slips or income from their self-employment is dropping in the bank uh, before they have to clear that balance of the kitchen off. Plus, I guess I guess a lot of people would might fund these projects through a remortgage or adding to their mortgage. And at the moment, the way the mortgages are, that might be the last thing you want to do as well. Yeah, exactly right. And and again, you know, using buy now, pay later as a facilitator here to 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 get to where everybody wants to be. I mean, consumer and retailer alike. Um, because if you're remortgaging and that's what you've set out to do, that's not the work of a moment either, Andrew. You know, so if remortgaging is the right way for the customer to fund this project, buy now, pay later might give them six, nine, 12 months to complete that remortgage. And then when they get the money out, they use the money to pay off the buy now, pay later. But it means that they can continue with the project today and not have to wait months until the remortgage is completed. What does buy now, pay later cost the retailer? It varies. The cost of credit has gone up. There's no doubt about that. I think everybody can see the obvious metric is Bank of England base rate. It's been the most intense time in finance over the last 12 to 18 months because we've all enjoyed 15 years of literally no cost money. Uh, that has changed clearly over the last 12 to 18 months where the government have looked to correct, or the Bank of England have looked to correct that paradigm. But that, that correction was supposed to happen over a number of years. But because of booming inflation, they had to make that correction over a very short period in relative terms over the last 12 to 18 months. Now, what does that mean? It means that the cost of the raw material for banks and and lending houses has gone up in the cost of that raw material, the raw material being money. So where money was cheap, as I say, going back 12, 18 months, it's now more expensive. So a long way around in terms of answering your question, but for a buy now, pay later, for a 12-month buy now, pay later, you're probably looking somewhere in the region of around 7 or 8% as a cost now to the retailer. But it doesn't have to be a 12-month buy now, pay later. You could do a 9-month buy now, pay later. And all of our buy now, pay later options, all of our deferred options, Andrew, start from the point of installation, not from the point of sale, but from the point of installation. So if you sell a kitchen or bathroom today, it might take you two to three months before you've completed that project, completed that installation. And upon completion, then you would submit your satisfaction note for payout from the lender, at which point that triggers the live event, which is the customer's agreement going live. And it's six, nine or 12 months from that point that the customer has to clear off. From the retailer's perspective, the shorter the deferred period on buy now, pay later, the lower the cost. I mean, they're only going to add that cost to the cost of the kitchen or bathroom anyway, aren't they? So what we tend to work on is a rule of thumb that one in three customers, even when finance is offered each and every time to every consumer, 
probably one in three customers is about where it's at in terms of take up. So let's just say for round figures, our cost of credit is 10%. Just for round figures, that's our 12 months buy now, pay later. It costs me as the retailer 10%. But only one in three customers are taking it up. So if you think of that, then we only have to perhaps increase our price across our entire book by 3% because only one in three customers are actually taking advantage of the 10% cost of finance. What you always have to factor in, and there's no point in having a finance facility for your turnover to stand still. As I said right at the top of this conversation, Andrew, you asked me the question, why should people have a finance facility? It can only be to increase turnover. And increasing turnover, whilst it comes at a small cost, should still generate a better bottom line, of course, in the fullness of time. Most people will look at credit as a marketing cost, it's a cost to attaining more customers. It's a cost to attaining higher spend from those customers. It's a cost to attaining more yeses from the customers that walk into my showroom. It's very much seen as a marketing cost. But yeah, the point that you make is only what DFS have done is, is a, for instance, from opening the doors. Do we think that DFS like just giving away five years interest free, which they did at the start of their trading when it was nothing to pay for a year and then four years interest free? They, for the first time in their trading history, as an example of the uh, pressures that I've just cited, are now only doing three years interest-free. So people have had to constrain and dilute the credit offers that they've been providing to consumers because of the cost of credit. They have a rising cost of credit. But yeah, I mean, like somebody like a furniture retailer, what they would do is they would look at the cost of their product. They would then add on a percentage for the cost of credit. And then every customer has to be offered the same price and the same options in terms of cash or credit. Right. Again, this is a slightly random question, but you talk about when the retailer gets the money. Give me the detail of when that is, because there's also lots of different stages in that process. So you're saying installation, when the installation is complete, but sometimes there's a bit at the end about snagging and, you know, fixing some bits that might have gone wrong. Where exactly does the money come in? Okay, so we can pay uh, either on delivery only, contracts or on delivery and installation contracts. So if uh, your independent retailer is simply providing the customer the product and the customer is going to go and get a fitter elsewhere, we can finance that product only. And on that contract, the retailer would be paid as soon as they deliver the product. The customer would sign off to say that they've got delivery of the product, at which point they would submit that delivery note and they would be paid next day into their bank by the lender. Now, most of the retailers that we operate with don't operate like that. However, they do tend to operate on a contract that is supply and fit. On a supply and fit contract, the lender will pay the retailer upon completed satisfactory installation. So the customer would sign off to say that they are satisfied with the installation, at which point, again, the satisfaction note is submitted typically electronically these days, but uh, submitted to the lender. Again, at that point, they would be paid into the bank the next day. Now, in practical terms, Andrew, what you tend to find is that most customers are quite happy to sign satisfactory installation if they've got a handle missing or if they've got a scratch on one of the doors that's going to get replaced and the retailer's coming back next week. You've just installed a £40,000 kitchen. There's a couple of 
hinges that need replacing. Most customers will sign off satisfaction on that, and most lenders certainly would would expect the customer to sign off satisfaction and would have no uh, issues in paying the retailer. But if you've gone along and you've gone and you've you know you you've got six cupboard doors missing or something like that, and the customer says, "Well, I'm not signing satisfaction." Well, you won't get paid by the lender until such times as you've fitted those six cupboard doors, and the customer does sign off to say that they are now satisfied with the completion of the contract. Again, at which point then the lender would pay. Okay, because a lot of retailers work on a kind of staged payment element of it. They might pay a deposit. Then they might pay a bulk, and then there'll be a bit at the end that they pay. You know, after those final snags are done. With the retailers you work with, how does the deposit bit work? So you can take a deposit. Certainly, uh, the lenders tend to limit the amount of deposit that the retailer can take. Typically, twenty five percent is a sensible point for both retailer, customer and lender alike. But it is one of the downsides of using finance, Andrew, is that you will only get paid on the completion of the contract. I may have mentioned earlier when I gave my overview of CCS, we also operate in the glass and glazing market. That includes conservatories. Now, conservatories are a great example of what you've just described, whereby if I'm going to fit you a nice orangery, I would want a deposit. I would then want another instalment from the customer on base. I would then want another part payment on superstructure. And then I would have a little bit left over for my trades and my snagging at the end. And kitchen retailers and bathroom retailers may well operate cash terms on that basis as well. That is not finance. There isn't a lender out there in the marketplace that I'm aware of right now that can pay in stages. They can only pay on completion of contract. There can only be one live event. And that one live event is when the contract is completed and the lender is comforted to pay the retailer by either the delivery note or by a satisfaction note. Now, again, I come back to it, and we'll repeat this, no doubt, a couple of times during the conversation, Andrew, is that the trade always is that I'm going to sell more. I suppose everyone's peace of mind is slightly better, maybe, if the retailer feels they have a deposit. Plus, sometimes they use that deposit to buy stuff with as part of that process. Yeah, for sure. We operate with a major national franchise uh, operation in the kitchen market. Now, those franchisees are small, independent in, in a manner. They are small owner-driver businesses. Deposits are really important to them because they have to pay from the manufacturer for that kitchen typically eight weeks before. So they use the deposit as the cash flow to fund all or part of the purchase of the the kitchen from the manufacturer. So we understand that. But the deposit, again, as I touched on earlier in the conversation, deposits are a big liability to the lender. Hence the reason that they won't allow typically for more than 25% as a deposit. We do have some restrictions in place with our lenders where it's 10%. We do have some dispensations in place where it's 50% as a maximum deposit, but typically 25 is a good start point for everybody. Okay, let's conclude this by just asking a little bit about the the, the credit risk of, of consumers. Where in the process do you recommend your retailers actually do a credit check on the consumer sat in front of them? Because what you don't want to do is three weeks work on a kitchen then to find that they've been turned down for credit. So where in that process do you recommend that assessment takes place? You can really only start that process, Andrew, when you've, when you've got to the point of delivering a price to the customer. Um, we don't have any of our lenders that will allow an application um, whereby you're not 
put a quote into the system initially. So by quote, I mean, what's the cash price? What's the deposit? What's the credit option that the customer's looking to take? Uh, all of these things need to be submitted before we can get to a credit decision. The good news is uh, for most lenders now, the first credit decision tends to be a soft search. So there's no footprint at that stage left on the customer's credit file. But yeah, you have to be getting to a price point, Andrew, before you can actually go through the process of making an application. Now, the good news is that that application process typically takes some five minutes and typically is an instant yes. It's not requiring of proofs necessarily, although sometimes we might have to come back and ask for a bank statement or sometimes we might have to come back and ask for a proof of address if they've just moved into a new property. But in the main, you're looking at a sub-five minute application, an instant decision, a document signed up, a customer who then enters into a 14-day right of withdrawal or cancellation period, as you may know it, from finance, at the end of which you're more than comforted to go ahead with the manufacturer, if you're a manufacturer, with the buying of the product to install that customer's kitchen or bathroom. And how many people do get turned down, Alex? How likely is it to happen? In terms of approval rates, you know, we, we see approval rates Average, average across our entire book, and there's boiler companies in there, there's window companies, there's kitchen companies, of course, bathroom companies. We see an average average of around 85%. We're very blessed with a robust consumer demographic. It's all homeowners, of course, and what you tend to see from that is, is good credit customers. So I, I just like to comfort anybody uh, who's thinking that that may be an issue. For an in-the-kitchen in retailer, it's not unusual to see 9 out of 10 getting approved, and the odd one who doesn't get approved out of 10 tends to be able to find their own means, and it may just be that the lender that's looking at that consumer is a little bit concerned around their affordability or something of that nature. Another point that's been raised, actually, is is where the liability of the retailer falls if the, if the customer gets into some financial difficulty about paying that loan back. Now, I'm assuming that that is not the retailer's liability in, in most terms, but a couple of people have told me the story of, you know, they, they, stop, they stop paying the loan back and then they blame the retailer for like bad products or bad workmanship or something. And then it all gets, it gets caught up in that. So could you sort of run through where the liability lies? And there is no liability for the retailer in terms of whether the customer pays or not. The finance companies and banks that we operate with have been doing this for a lot of years. They've got it down now to almost an exact science of how many will pay and how many won't pay. Is product quality and installation a motivator for customers to pay or not pay? Yes, yes, it can be, of course. What tends to happen is that your customer must always continue to pay through that debate, through that discussion with the retailer and lender, possibly with a three-way discussion, the customer must continue to pay. That's the advice that's always given. It doesn't matter the setting, Andrew. The customer must always pay. And what we want to do is the lender will want to take a neutral position to work with the retailer and the customer to get the customer back to that place of satisfaction. And there may be times even where there's impasses uh, that are formed between the retailer and the customer and they've fallen out. And sometimes we need to get independent and sometimes we need to get the furniture ombudsman involved and things like that to get to, uh, again, a place where the customer's happy. The customer has continued making their payments, but again, there is no liability that falls on the retailers if the customer doesn't continue their payments on finance. We're not inundated uh, with consumer complaints. Far from it. It's quite the opposite. 
very important who you partner with, and we do that vetting at the outset to understand the retailer. The first and foremost thing that we're looking to vet is the financial health of the business. Let's not dance around that handbag. You know, we don't partner with businesses who look like they may fail because that's the real liability that lenders take on. A proven Mr and Mrs Smith for £15,000 worth of kitchen product is what they do for their day job. They're very good at it and uh, they've got it, as I said, down to almost an exact science. Partnering with the right retailer is so important because we all know some of the big names that have gone in the past. I mean, I date back to people like MFI, as a, for instance. You know, when that happens, that type of event is catastrophic for lenders. You're talking then into the millions and millions of pounds that it costs finance companies to pay deposits back, to complete works in progress, and to stand by and honour guarantees that have been provided to consumers. That's the real liability that lenders take on board when operating in this manner. What do you think consumers' view of finance like this is? Do you think they are slightly suspicious of it, perhaps because of whether it's right or not, the reputation of double glazing salesmen and, and you know, this kind of thing. Do you think they're slightly suspicious of it? They have to get over a hurdle of, of suspicion before you can get them to the point of actually signing on something? Much less so today. I think we've got a UK consumer that's been as conditioned to credit before as they are today, Andrew, because it, it dominates the headlines. Again, I go back to you think about walking out into a retail park, you think about furniture, you think about electrical, you think about jewellery, you think about cars, you think about all these retail sectors, and all of them are leading with headline messages that talk about credit. So we are very conditioned to it. And what's happened over the years also is that the changing of the type of credit that's offered has been a massive shift in terms of consumer confidence around that, Andrew. So when I entered home improvement finance, and I'm dating back now, I started home improvement finance 17, 18 years ago. When I entered home improvement, finance was a vehicle for retailers to earn commission. Finance is now a vehicle to facilitate more sales. So it's moved from high rate commissionable type offers to now buy now, pay later, low rate, 9.9 APR, interest-free credit, of course, which is the one that most people know and love the best, but comes at quite a cost and and the most difficult one for the retailer to manage. But the credit offer now has become far more promotional. And this was born out of 2008, Andrew. 2008, when the credit crunch hit, everybody in the retail space looked around at each other thinking, how are we going to get customers coming back to our showrooms? How are we going to get customers buying again? And the common answer to that conundrum was promotional credit. And that's really where the explosion of your interest freeze and everything like that came onto the high street because everybody all of a sudden had to work really hard to tell customers that, look, come to us, you can afford this product. Come to us, you can buy from us without having to perhaps part with that nest egg. You know, So 2008 changed the um, the landscape massively. Uh, in terms of retail and retail finance. Well, look, Alex, we've reached our own credit crunch here as the clock's beaten us. Uh, but look, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. You've been very candid about it all. And, you know, there's a lot to think about there. So I'm sure we will revisit this again in the future. But thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thank you for your time as well, Andrew. 
that was Alex McCulloch from Consumer Credit Solutions. Such a sticky one, this, isn't it, I think. In general, the idea of it is appealing for all the reasons Alex has described very eloquently there, but the question of volume is always there, I think. And without the volume, there just isn't enough of an incentive for lenders to come up with packages that appeal to retailers. If you've got to do a minimum of 250 grand through it, I'm not sure how many typical independents would fit under that. Anyway, it's a difficult circle to square, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Don't forget that entries are open for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2024. It's totally free to enter and the closing date is November the 16th. All the details are at kbbreview.com forward slash awards.